Hello, welcome to Thoughts on Thoughts, a podcast where you, our listeners, can become part of a conversation with us. We are three therapists who are going to talk about the good, the hard, and all the in-betweens of life. Come join us. Welcome to Thoughts on Thoughts. We are ready for an episode that is basically a true crime handbook. We decided, you know, you know when you watch like Grey's Anatomy and you hear the term like cardiac arrhythmia and you're like, oh, I know what that is because you've watched an episode of Grey's Anatomy. Mm -hmm. Basically, we are going to be that source where you can listen to this podcast (laughs) and then the next time you're learning about a serial killer or you're listening to a true crime podcast you can be like oh antisocial personality disorder let me break it down for you yes we're going to make you experts in cluster b personality disorders so you can really feel nerdy when you're listening to your true crime podcasts or watching true crime documentaries as yeah. we do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We all do. I have a little bit of background in this because I did my internship at the state hospital on the forensics unit. So what does that mean, KJ? I was going to say, um, people don't ever know what yeah. that means. I didn't really know till I stepped foot <laughs> in there and had to go through there. locked doors and wear a panic button around my neck. Oh my god. Yeah. Um, no big deal. It was kind of intense. I did go in there like once or twice. I did research for someone and I do remember like it is like a prison is yeah. what it is. Mm-hmm. So yes, essentially stay a hospital. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's a prison, but um everyone that's on the unit can just for the most part, move around freely. So I guess that's kind of why you're wearing that button around your neck in case you do get jumped. Mm-hmm. Um, but oh, while I was BD. there, I was working with the high-profile males on that unit. They're essentially the people we were trying to rehabilitate so that they could go stand trial. That was my job, doing therapy with them to help them get healthier so that they could go uh, stand trial to then maybe potentially go to prison for their crimes or whatever was determined. So I learned a lot about the minds yeah. of criminals. Because yes. the other people that were on the unit were people who had pled criminally insane. And so then they served their sentence in the yeah. forensics unit of the state hospital, right? Yeah. So then they stay there because they're not mentally competent. And so they were not responsible in the same way that other people are Mm -hmm. so then kj was doing work before people had been totally charged trying to get Mm -hmm. them in their right mind so they could be charged right yeah it's really honestly fascinating work because you're dealing with people who a lot of them are very manipulative yes and it's kind of brings in that question of okay who is maybe malingering who's kind of trying to stay here where maybe it's a little more cush than the state prison it's very interesting and honestly very difficult work like I 
mad respect for all the therapists that work oh, yeah. there because I only worked there for eight months and it was really challenging. So anyways, all of that to say, this is fascinating stuff. So we do want to say that these mental illnesses come with a lot of stigma and we don't want to add to that stigma at all. We want to communicate very specifically that many people who suffer from these diagnoses do not become criminals. It's a very, very small percentage of the population. The problem is not in having a diagnosable severe mental illness. Like that's so far from the problem. The problem is when you take that diagnosis, when you take your trauma and you internalize it and you twist it to become a really, really evil person. That is when the problem arises. The problem is when you push your stuff onto other people and you hurt and belittle and I mean, and what we're talking about and like literally take the life of another person. That is a major, huge problem. There's no problem in having antisocial personality disorder if you are aware of it and working on it. That's not a problem. There's a huge problem when you are ruining other people's lives. So there's, it's a very different thing. You can have borderline personality disorder and be a very healthy functioning person, but you can also have borderline personality disorder and do terrible things, but it's the terrible things. That's the problem. It's not borderline. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. We use these diagnoses to understand and explain behavior, but nothing can explain people who do things so terrible. There's no explanation for it. It defies being a human, really. So we're going to be focusing on the mental illnesses that you can find in cluster B of the DSM-5. So those are the personality disorders. Honestly, fascinating stuff. So let's start with narcissistic personality disorder. Well, this one is fascinating because it's not just serial killers. This is People in your family. (laughs) A lot of narcissism around. All right. So narcissism. Here's what we have from the DSM. So I want you to realize that the way that people diagnose is that we go to this big, massive book called the DSM-5. And so in there, this is how you can be you can start diagnosing people with narcissistic personality disorder. You can become a therapist too, right? So They have to have these things, the belief that you're special and more important than others, fantasies about power, success, and attractiveness, a failure to recognize other people's needs and feelings, an exaggeration of your achievements and talents, an expectation of constant praise and admiration, a lot of arrogance, unreasonable expectations for favors and advantages, often taking advantage of others and envy of others or belief that people are envying you. So just a lot of narcissistic personality traits. And if you have them and they are pervasive throughout your relationships, your work life, your home life, all of that, then that's when you have narcissistic personality disorder versus just like, oh, I have a trait or two of narcissism. Or maybe I'm just narcissistic towards my family, but not at work. So you have to have it everywhere to be diagnosed with a personality disorder. 
which is a fun thing that people always forget. Yeah. And you can see a lot of like narcissistic behaviors come out and that's how you can also kind of identify this. Like people with narcissistic personality disorder have a tr- they have a hard time handling anything perceived as criticism like at all. And so if they feel criticized then they can respond in certain ways. They can become like really impatient or angry if they don't receive special treatment. Um, they have like they can have significant interpersonal problems and react with rage or contempt and try to belittle other people. Um, they have difficulty like regulating their emotions and behaviors, experience major problems dealing with stress or adapting to change. They can feel depressed and moody because they've fallen short of perfection and also like have secret feelings of like insecurity, shame, vulnerability, and humiliation. And so like a person that's narcissistic has a lot of deep insecurity and they feel like a lot of shame and all that stuff. But then they project these ideas that they know everything. And when people counter that, they can respond really strongly. Mm -hmm. So in the serial killer world, Mm -hmm. narcissistic personality disorder, serial killer is BTK or Dennis Rader, who was a serial killer I was going to say way back when, but I mean, it's not like so far back. Um, He was very narcissistic, um, kind of like played games with the police and like wrote them letters and was very above it all. Like, I am better than all of you. I'm getting away with this, that kind of a thing. Um, And the way he was caught actually is he sent a letter to the police and sent them a floppy disk. But he had first asked the police if the floppy disk could be traced and they told him it could not because they are trying to catch him. Catch him. So they are <laughs> lying. Right. And so he sent the floppy disk. Um, they were able to trace it back. They found him. He was a deacon at his church, had raised his kids, two kids. No one had any idea. Um, got him. Turns out in his closet, he had mementos from all the people that he had killed and stuff, but no one had ever looked in the closet and things like that. So, um, he was very narcissistic. Uh, when he went to prison, he loved still does probably, um, to write letters and talk about his experience. And he gave a huge full in length interview of everything that he did, which is recorded, Um, And so you can, so that's why he's kind of more interesting to people because he himself told his entire story on tape. And so he was very narcissistic about it, very much thought he was above it all and that he and the police were having this fun game with each other, but that was not real. It was all in his mind, tainted by his personality disorder, right? So very interesting kind of a guy, really terrible things, but fascinating to learn about, right? So- there you go. Yeah, when you're listening to your podcasts or watching documentaries on these people, how narcissism can often look to with some of these serial killers are people that are just really charismatic. Like people can be really drawn to narcissists initially yes. because they're just like confident and mm-hmm. kind of schmoozers and can be really fun to be around initially. And so that can be like a key indicator is are they really confident and just really like 
They're very charming. Yeah. It's like, and they provide kind of that sensation or that feeling of feeling like really safe and secure and kind of like taken care of because they know so much. They, they like create the idea that they are the authority, authority on everything. So if they know everything, then being under them or being under their care can be very appealing to people. Yeah. That's how we all get sucked into cults. We all. I've been in in at least five or six of them so far. You know, those dang narcissistic cult leaders. Yes, but you think about it. Like, that's what really, yeah, that's what brings people in is that, like, yeah, that energy. They have an energy about them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think Logan and I were watching a, a show and it was pretty much about like a cult and people bring it in. And then the idea was that the cult leader like brought everybody in through his energy with promises, you know, like promises of this and this and enlightenment or whatever. So people come in and then through there, as they're trying to like, kind of, they're pretty skeptical still trying to figure it out. Then he creates a relationship with them to where they feel like they cannot kind of survive without him. And then once they get in, realize that the enlightenment is a fraud, it's it's kind of like a moot point at that at that time because they're already they've already bought in to that kind yes. of sale. They're too far gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And something when Jessica said a cult, it triggered this memory. Brian David Mitchell. Many of you may be familiar with him. He is the man who kidnapped Elizabeth Smart. Mm-hmm. He was diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder. So. I mean, yeah, you can read up on him for sure. I actually gave him money when he was peddling on the streets of Salt Lake when I was 12. He was dressed like in a white like turban Mm -hmm. and he had makeup on his face so that his skin appeared darker. darker? Yeah, you couldn't tell until you were like close to him. And so I went up with like a quarter and gave it to him and he bowed to me. And my mom just like grabbed my hand and pulled me away because like, I think she was creeped out. And yeah. then, so this was at the time, like he had already kidnapped Elizabeth Smart. She was, um, you know, captured yeah. by him at this time. And so like months later, my dad was watching America's Most Wanted and he called, called me over and he's like, look at that guy. Who is that? And I was like, oh, that's the guy I gave money to when oh, we were in Oh my gosh. Life. It was Brian David Mitchell. So. Ah! Oh my gosh. gosh. I just think like remembering that just makes me think of like, it's so interesting that he was diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder, like Mm -hmm. kind of putting on this air of like who he was. Thinking he can get away with it. Yes. When it's like clear that he would be out. Like, yes. Yeah. Yes. You can tell he's, I don't know, delusional in that way where it's Mm -hmm. like I'm putting on this weird disguise. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of out and about doing this stuff, getting away with it. Yeah. Um, when I have this girl like kidnapped up in the mountains, like it's the thing that is creepy about this is not that he was homeless, that he was asking for money. The problem with it is that he was doing terrible things. That is mm-hmm. a huge problem. Yeah. So let's move to borderline personality disorder. Okay, so borderline personality disorder, this is one that as a therapist, you can feel it, and I don't know how to describe it other than that. I'm just kidding. I'll tell you what it is. (laughs) I'll give you all the criteria. (laughs) 
Borderline personality disorder, the name comes because originally it was thought to be on the border of antisocial and histrionic personality disorder, both of which we'll talk about. So antisocial is obviously like what we think of as a psychopath. Histrionic is what you think of as a out of control emotional person, right? So borderline personality disorder, a lot of impulsive and risky behavior, very unstable and fragile self-image unstable and intense relationships. That's where you can kind of feel it off of them. Like they're very intense people and they pull you into an intense relationship. Mm -hmm. They have up and down moods often as a reaction to their own stressors in their own life, suicidal behavior, self-injury, threats of self-injury, threats of suicide, an intense fear of being alone or abandoned, ongoing feelings of emptiness, Frequent intense displays of anger, stress-related paranoia that comes and goes. A lot of this stuff is all borderline. So the way I've heard it described by people who are borderline is emotionally, it feels like you have no skin. So every emotion just hurts and is painful and is very difficult to handle. So a lot of the people, I mean, I think we've all seen people who are borderline in our office. It's a very... um you can still function very well in society and have borderline personality disorder. It just makes your relationships a lot harder. So it's definitely one to get into therapy and get help with. But then if you do, if you take it to the very, 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 very extreme, it can turn into a very negative way of pushing your feelings, those feelings that hurt so much on you, pushing them back onto other people and having them hurt too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we see a lot of complications with borderline personality disorder and so it's kind of like you'll see like what their life can look like is like repeated job changes or they'll lose their job a lot uh they won't complete like an education or a degree like multiple legal issues even jail time they'll have like conflict or like conflict filled relationships so like lots if of I'm marriages do- often yes exactly. like lots of different relationships I'll see this sometimes in like couples therapy when somebody will come in and it's because one of them is borderline lots of marital stress or divorces though sometimes you will see like self-injury like such as cutting or frequent hospitalizations that's usually like a result of if somebody has like Uh, made them feel a certain way, then they want to like let that person know how much it hurt them and then they'll self-injure. They're involved. They're really, they can be involved in abusive relationships and on like an extreme end, you might see like unplanned pregnancies, like STDs, uh, accidents, impulsive or risky behaviors, or even like attempted or completed suicides. So it's kind of like on the on that extreme end, like or if you're just looking at somebody's life or behavior, like these are some of the things that can accompany a diagnosis of borderline. Mm-hmm. So a, a serial killer that was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder was Jeffrey Dahmer. Uh, You guys may have heard of him. His nickname was the Milwaukee Cannibal or the Milwaukee Monster. He, I mean, yeah, he's one that freaks me out extra. Yeah. um, Yeah. You can probably, you know, determine what he was known for from those nicknames. But that is, of course, like a very extreme version. Very, right. Like we're talking about like the point zero zero one percent of people but 
we're also talking about true crime here. So that's what you're going to yeah. get, you know. Yeah. It's a definite thing. Because, yeah, the borderline, the idea is in a criminal, that that emotion and hurt hurts so much that they push it onto someone else, right? So it's like, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you even more. I think yeah. about in making a murderer, which who knows if he's innocent or not, whatever, but he had a girlfriend who said that he did kill that girl because after they had locked him up, he said that he was going to make all women pay. And that would be that thing where it's like, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you so much more. That would be that kind of twisted borderline way of thinking. Yeah. And it's it not even not, that, like, right. the, that like the person or the victim had personally made them hurt. It's the fact – sometimes it's even like you're not hurting. And because you're not hurting, that's unfair yeah. because of how much hurt I feel. So it's kind of like what Jessica was saying. is pushing that hurt onto a person usually completely unprovoked. Mm-hmm. So histrionic is that attention-seeking person. So they're excessively emotional, dramatic, sexually provocative to gain attention. They speak dramatically with strong opinions. Oh, that sounds like me. But with few facts or details to back them up. Also could be me. Who knows? (laughs) But they're easily influenced by others. They have shallow, rapidly changing emotions. They have an excessive concern with physical appearance. They think their relationships with others are closer than they really are. So like, we're best friends. And it's like, actually, you talk to them one time, which is a real thing in this like age of social media where they'll be like, oh, my friend said this. And it's someone that they follow on Instagram, not someone they really know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They don't really normally turn into serial killers. They normally turn into reality TV show contestants. Mm-hmm. Like on The Bachelor is, or The Bachelorette. Like, yeah. And we, you know, the thing is, is does it per go into all areas of their life? If it does, then that is a personality disorder. If not, they're probably just like the most outgoing person you've ever met, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sweet. Let's talk about antisocial personality disorder because this is probably the most important one when it comes to being a true crime junkie. You got to know what this is. Yeah. So give us the deets on this, Jessica. Let me tell you guys. So antisocial personality disorder. So remember, this is when it is a personality disorder, not just their treatment of one person. It's how they treat everybody. So a disregard for other people's needs and feelings, persistent lying, stealing, using aliases, conning others. Uh, recurring problems with the law, repeated violation of the rights of others, aggressive, violent behavior, a disregard for the safety of self or others, impulsive behavior, consistently irresponsible, and a lack of remorse for their behaviors. So really just like the, I don't have the feeling of what is right and wrong. And so I'm just going to do what I need to do to get by and to survive and I don't care what the consequences are to other people. So two serial killers that may come to mind when you think about antisocial personality disorder are Ted Bundy and Gary Ridgway, who's known as the Green River Killer. And something that strikes me as being really interesting about these two guys is that they had relationships with women, like they had wives or girlfriends, And then they were also murdering women. 
and they were able to compartmentalize so well and not have any guilt and manipulate so well that they were able to live that double life, which is Mm -hmm. really intense. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really interesting when you watch the documentaries about these men, they'll talk about how they like loved their wives for their girlfriends. But it's hard to believe because you're like, how? Yeah. This whole other side of them that was Mm -hmm. really evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I mean, almost every serial killer will have antisocial tendencies because you cannot yeah. do that. I mean, a serial killer for sure to be mm-hmm. going out and killing person after person is absolutely antisocial personality disorder versus like a crime of passion, mm-hmm. which is a very different thing where I can have a normal life up until something yeah. really terrible triggers me. But again, murder is never normal. Mm-hmm. We just want to say that. And so it really is like people who have antisocial personality disorder can actually do really well in life as long as they learn logically mm-hmm. what the limits of their behavior are. And they learn to like live within society's limits. But a lot of people, they kind of get this mixture of that narcissism and that antisocial. And they're like, oh, I'm seeking power and I can have power over people as I do this stuff. And then I just have no remorse and so I can continue to do it. And we'll see like people with antisocial antisocial personality disorder, they'll they'll experience like complications such as like spouse abuse or child abuse or neglect. Mm-hmm. And they'll typically have problems with alcohol or substances, have spent right. time in jail, like homicidal or suicidal behaviors. Um, they'll have other mental health disorders such as depression and anxiety, which kind of fuel that antisocial personality disorder. Um, and yeah, it can like lead to like low social economic status or homelessness and everything. So, yeah. Mm. I think something interesting here is the terms psychopath and sociopath Mm -hmm. really come into play with antisocial personality disorder. So those aren't diagnoses, they're terms. So when you hear those terms, I'll explain the difference. So a psychopath is someone who does not feel remorse or guilt. So that would be the antisocial personality disordered individual. A sociopath has the ability, albeit the small ability, to feel some remorse. Mm -hmm. So I guess a way you could think of that is like socio, like social... Mm-hmm. It's like, like more, socially more social, more socially up. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then psychopath is like they have no ability to feel guilt. And mm-hmm. I was watching the documentary on the Green River Killer on Hulu. You can go watch it if you are intrigued. But it was interesting when the families of his victims were talking to him in court, you started to see him get emotional. And it was interesting because I was like, well, okay, is this guy a psychopath and putting on a show like mm-hmm. can be so manipulative that he can fake that emotion right. to like, kind of garner the, um, I guess, compassion of everyone else in the courtroom? Or is he more of a sociopath where he is feeling some of that guilt and remorse? Mm-hmm. I mean, so he just didn't feel at the time, or he felt it at the time, but shoved it down, or you know, you just have no idea what 
anyone is really thinking, especially us as lay people. Unfortunately, we don't really get to do therapy with them unless you're KJ as an intern at the state hospital. Then you would get to see that stuff. All right. So tune in next week. We are going to have an interview. I'm really excited about it. We're going to be talking about money and mental health. Money, Mm -hmm. money, money. Friday night. Just got paid. Party's bumping. It's in sync, KJ. Don't look at me like that. Yeah, right? I'm vibing. I'm yeah. vibing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Feeling right. Oh, yeah. I'll sing it later for you guys. It's fine. Thank Thanks. you. I can't wait. Just taste. <laughs> All right. See ya. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. We want to create a community of inclusion where we can have conversations about topics that you need help with or have questions about. We want you to have a voice in this process, so please let us know what you want to hear about on future episodes. You can email us at thoughtspod at gmail.com, and if you search thoughtspod, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All original music is composed by Milan Bryich from Valley of the Bears, and our logos are by Rick Thomas. Thanks for joining us.